Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get to Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Get to Vet community. This is Trevor Maxwell. And with me, as always, is my partner in crime, Mike Riggs. Hey, and and today we have uh, Scott Vetter. Scott is... uh, he does a lot of stuff working and and something that I know it's going to be real important to you guys, um, interviews and resumes. And so he's got a couple of books out. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, it's signs of a great interview. And then you had another one signs of a great resume, correct? Got it. Awesome. So we'll go ahead and, and let you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and jump into it. Sure. Well, thanks, Trevor and Mike, for having me today. And uh, a real pleasure always to connect with vets anywhere uh, across the, the world, really. Uh, you know, my background is as a Fortune 100 recruiter. I did over 5,000 interviews before I stopped counting. And uh, most people's resumes are awful. And that is not unique to veterans or civilians. That's just most people don't know what I'm looking for on a resume and how I use that information. So I wrote a book about it really to vent my own frustrations, but actually I knew I would help people too. And it took off, became a bestseller. And when Signs of a Great Resume first came out, I didn't have a particular focus on veterans, but wherever I'd go on the book tour, I'd meet veterans and they'd say, hey, what about us? It's different. And I'd say, hey, what do I know? I didn't serve, but my dad and my grandfather both did. They were both army E6s when they got out and nobody helped them. There were no transition programs in the Vietnam era or World War II like we have today. And so they struggled. And I made it my plan to help today's vets have a different story if I have anything to say about it. So I wrote a follow-up edition of the book. You mentioned it, Signs of a Great Resume, Veterans Edition, just for vets. Hey, and Mike's sporting his own there, good. And most recently, Signs of a Great Interview, Veterans Edition. Uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> awesome, Mike. I'm sorry. I don't, and, uh, I've got I, too I, many other books to read. What's that? I'll say it. I'm sorry. I don't have copies of those yet. We'll work on that, Trevor. Two demerits for you. (laughs) Appreciate it. (laughs) But uh, I've become an expert in this space. I've now been twice invited to the White House, a Democrat and Republican administration. I've been to the Pentagon, the Army War College, and I get to help nonprofit groups all over America. Um, You know, helping vets get some clarity on some of the many, many tips they hear out there about resumes and interviews and really helping veterans tell their story. And I mentioned all the connections with the government, whatever, with no endorsement implied, of course, just as a matter of fact of saying, I've been privileged to be you know, welcomed into some really neat circles to talk about the veteran transition and uh, into the civilian workforce. And it, it is really the greatest privilege of my career to help uh, from my perspective. So thanks for having me here today to do a little of that. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. And one of the things I met you through the Commit Foundation, which is another great nonprofit veterans organization, which is really where we linked up. And I really applaud your enthusiasm to to go and help transitioning veterans in this space, because speaking from my own experience, I am almost at the six month mark. Uh, Next week will be the six month mark from my retirement date. And when you look at 
what I kind of am breaking down into three phases of, of the next phase, the, the networking piece, the resume piece, and then the interview piece, you know, you, you really cover two of those phases, key phases in depth. And two of those, the, the resume piece and the interview piece to me, I find somewhat intimidating, especially I fortunately got to serve up on Capitol Hill for a year in the Senate in which I got exposed to corporate America quite a bit through constituent meetings. But had I not had that exposure, I would be completely intimidated. And just in, in the translation piece on what, what do I know? How do I, how do I talk in that realm? How does this translate? I mean, I'm a command master chief, but I'm definitely, I mean, obviously I've, I've seen a lot of your podcasts before where you were a guest and, and I know I'm not a CEO. I know I'm not a C-suite, nor are they command master chiefs, but understanding where those parallels are, you know, I'm like we talked about on our one-on-one coaching session, I'm a senior leader, having that understanding and putting your mind at ease and knowing where your, you know, the, the square peg actually fits in the square hole, you know, and how that translates for the next step I, I, is so key to putting some of that anxiety in check and understanding where, where we fit in on that, uh, you know, that next adventure. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Mike, because I think it's important for all veterans to hear that, you know, some, a command master chief who's super smart about a lot of stuff, you have done a lot of interesting stuff and complicated stuff in your career. You're at no lack of skills. This is just one thing you haven't done. Write resumes and, and transition to the civilian workforce. And I often convey the story. I was working with a retired two-star coming out of Army Special Forces. And he said to me, Scott, last week I felt like an idiot. I said, what, why? He says, because I walked into AT&T. You see, I don't know how to buy a cell phone. The army has handed me every cell phone I have ever owned. How the heck do you think I feel trying to write a resume? So if command master chiefs and major generals can all feel some anxiety, stress, or just unknowing uh, about the, the resume process, well, that's why it's my privilege to help because this shouldn't be the hardest thing for you to accomplish, given all of the hard things that you've accomplished in your career. No, and I really appreciate you taking the time. I mean, when when we talk about, you know, I always go back to some of Malcolm Gladwell's books and you talk about your, your 5,000 before you stopped counting and you're, you're well past the 10,000. I'm have no doubt, you know, 10,000 hours of, diligent practice at doing this, you know, you're, you're a master at your craft, I think. And and just to have someone like you to put that knowledge down in what I would refer as my bookshelf reference on interviewing and resume writing is, is awesome for veterans to have and be able to reach out to and and grab off the bookshelf and and have that on their, in their tool set as a, as a transition is great. Thanks, Mike. And, And I really made this a focus of mine, not just because of my family's own story, But because of my experience as a leader in the Fortune 100, I really believe veterans are some of our best employees in the civilian workforce. You're just some of the worst job candidates. So if that's the one thing that I can help fix, well, then great, let's get at it. Because once you get over this hump and get into a job, I have no question that you're going to thrive. I think that's, you know... uh... I guess I kind of relate to that from, you know, cause I haven't really worked for anybody since I've got out. I've kind of went the entrepreneurial route, but 
Um, what you just said there kind of, I think rings true with, with the, some of the challenges I faced, which they say like the biggest hurdle for an entrepreneur is going from zero to one. Once you get there, everything else is easy day. Um, you know, I, th I think that's kind of like, uh, I, I could kind of relate that to that position, right? You just don't know like how to get in there, but once you get in there, you're going to be fine. It's, you know, same thing like the, you know, I, I think I talked about that in another podcast, uh, our first jump at Freefall School when I was the first one of our stick out the, you know, at the door and I'm looking inside and I see Mike and the rest of the team. And I was like, well, I don't want to look like a little bitch to these guys. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Um, it. You know, it's just, I knew nothing about it, but you got to, I guess the thing is, is you got to make that leap of faith. Yeah. I mean, literally and proverbially sometimes. Um, but yeah, you know, you didn't know a darn thing about free falling when you walked into the service, right? And you had to learn that. And that is way more intimidating a goal falling out of an aircraft than it is to write a resume. But you got there because of time and training and practice and great leadership from leaders like Mike along the way. And that helped prepare you to do something that probably you never imagined you would do. Like growing up, we're most sailors like, oh, you know what I'd love to do someday is leave a perfectly working aircraft. No, probably not. Well, the other thing, the other part of Trevor's story that I don't think we've ever touched upon is I had to sit there and watch Trevor and a couple of the other guys leave in front of me on my team. And I'm like, oh gosh, they already went. So I got to go too. Here we go. <laughs> so yeah, not only did it take courage for him to look back and go, well, I better go because these guys are looking at me. I had to watch them leave and then go, well, they've done it. Now I got to go too. So. Well, here's a parallel I'll draw with the job search is that there are already veterans out there who have left the aircraft, deployed their chute and successfully landed. And they are a powerful resource for you. And so I cannot state this enough. The best way to apply for a job is not to apply for a job. The best thing to do is network, particularly with the veterans who have come before you and been real trailblazers. You know, they've already scouted the path ahead and they've said, hey, I landed and, and here's what I'm doing. And here's what I learned. And you can do that very simply through sites like LinkedIn. So I was, I was working just the other day with a, a, a sailor who wants to go into professional sports. All right, now he does not do professional sports, obviously in the Navy, um, but he's got a couple things that he can now start looking through on LinkedIn as commonalities. So maybe it was soccer, and leader development and Navy are his search terms. Nothing more complicated than that. And then maybe we narrow to geography. And just statistically speaking, you're bound to find somebody who's got those things in common with you. And the, the best friendliest territory you can start with is to call another sailor and go, hey, I'm on my way out. Could, could I pick your brain? What'd you learn? What do you wish you would have known? And what does it take to make a Navy vet successful in Major League Soccer? And if you can't find someone who's a Navy vet who's done it, you swallow your pride and type Army. And by the time you work all the way through to Space Force, you're bound to find somebody that has done this before and already has something to share with you. And if they're like most of the vets that I know, they'd say, of course, I'll take 10 minutes and talk to you. I wish somebody would have helped me. Funny well, enough, you, our, you, our episode last week... <laughs> We just interviewed uh, Harrison Bernstein uh, from Soldiers to Sidelines. It's a nonprofit, and that's exactly what they do is they take vets that want to become 
sport athletics coaches and they have a course that they put them through and then they help them with placement. And maybe you're not going to go, you know, work for, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers or something like that right out the bat, but they, you know, there's high schools and, and other colleges and stuff that, that look for that. Um, so that's, that's cool. So if anybody does want to do that, listen to episode number eight of our podcast. I'll write it down. Soldiers for sidelines. Soldiers, soldiers two sidelines. Side soldiers to sidelines. I'm going to send this, this vet. I just talked to a note and make sure he knows about it. Soldiers to sidelines. The other thing is to connect them to me on LinkedIn because there's a coach in my honor foundation cohort. Who's the president CEO of the New York Red Bulls, the, the soccer team. Look, we're literally doing it right now. Yeah. We're helping another vet on transition just by talking about it. And we didn't all know any of this information 30 seconds ago had this nexus with what this veteran needs. All it takes is asking, hey, you know, I have a question. It's not even asking for help or certainly not a handout. It's just, hey, I got a question. I'm in transition and I just don't know this yet. Would you help me learn about this? And the, the company I'm going to pair up with for my SkillBridge opportunity, uh, they actually did an event with the Red Bulls uh, nice. a couple of weeks ago. So we'll, we'll, we'll get them in there. We'll, awesome. we'll get them in touch. Thanks, guys. There you go. One more person we help get to vet. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> uh, sorry, I started drinking early. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, that's a, I just, it's funny, like how, how, you know, that we're already coming full circle with this, uh, like what you just brought up and here we already did an episode on that. It's a small world after all, they say. Yep. You know? <laughs> but so, so when you, I, I often see, of course, all of our, Trevor and I have worked extensively in, in the NSW community, in the SEAL community. And, you know, I'll jokingly throw this out there because I've worked with tons of them. You know, a, a book contract comes with a trident. And um, I'm just joking with those guys, of course, because everyone, um, you know, they'll, they'll say the same thing. But to put out a book, to author a book, you guys make it look really easy, but there, there is tons and tons of work that goes into this and tons of research. And plus I love your art too. Do you do your own art in your book or, or who does it? Because it's, it's, I love it. I love the character. Thank you. That that's Rezzy. I call him. He's my little cartoon resume who appears to be uh, cursing at you. He's not, uh, he's showing you how to write a resume or tell a story that speaks for itself. Um, and the artist who uh, originally developed um, Resi is Kenny Durkin. Uh, he's a really talented guy uh, that uh, had a history in caricature and uh, comic kind of art style, and I just loved it. But um, what Resi is showing you is these symbols you see over my shoulder here. And for those of you listening, this is what I call the signs of a great resume. And they look like a curse word in a comic strip. It's the exclamation point at symbol, number, dollar, and percent signs. And it's not a curse word. What it's doing is showing you how to write a resume that speaks for itself. And so that's the most important thing to do on a resume is make sure you quantify and explain what you in particular bring to a future employment opportunity, not just the NES or MOS of what you did before. And so if you just describe the job you did, everybody who held the same job could say the same thing. You know, and the guy who comes after you, Mike, who's going to fill your billet by the time you're done and retired, 
he's going to have the same exact description. And that doesn't help me hire either of you. The signs of a great resume are the way to stand out. The first one is the exclamation point. It's like, wow, look at what I did. No one else could say this. At what point I gained relevant experience and then some numbers, dollars, and percent that help to quantify and explain what makes you a particularly great fit for the job. And if you need to remember what the signs are, if you look down at your keyboard above the numbers one through five on the left there, I came up with that. That's clever. <laughs> That's where the signs of a great resume came from because I was sitting at my desk time after time as a recruiter going, why can't somebody tell me something specific that they've done that can help me? And it's the most important filter to put on your resume. It's not about what you did for the Navy or whatever branch in your country. It's about how what you've done can help me do what I do. And the signs of a great resume, which are also the signs of a great interview, the same thing that you need to convey, are those specific details that make Mike or Trevor stand out in a really unique way. Really, I mean, it's, it's, it's basically like, hey, I'm demonstrating my value here. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I don't care how great you are if you can't really bring value to me or my organization. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I think all veterans have done that are interesting and noble and helpful for the you know, broad view of national security, making the world a better place. All that's great. That's not the filter. The filter is how does what you've done relate to what I need you to do to make me successful as an organization? Now, in the course of doing that, you'll make yourself successful. You can feel fulfilled. You'll give credit to all of the great experiences you had in the military, but you've got to phrase it in a way that's super clear for the civilian to understand. And the best way to indicate your ability to have future success is to talk about past successes using signs of a great resume and signs of a great interview. So I, I love the, uh, I also love the smart fifth grader test. Can you, can you talk about the smart fifth grader test? Sure. So over the years, vets have long asked me, they go, all right, well, we got kind of our own language that we speak in the military and people don't get it. I start talking and they look at me with their eyes glazed over because I'm using words they don't understand. And if you're a civilian and you've ever read a veteran resume with a lot of capital letters on it and jargon you don't get, you may appreciate this too. The simple reality is most Americans have not served in the military a you know, very small percentage or even better in connected within a degree or two of their family. And so you can't assume that Americans will know what you did in the military because they don't know a lot about the military besides Hollywood and headlines. And somewhere in the middle is the real world work that you do every day. So I say to explain military experience to a civilian, it's best that you picture a very smart 11 year old child in your life and pretend you're talking to them when you explain things on a resume. Now you can't use your own kids for this because it's likely that their parent has been in the military their whole life. So you gotta picture your kid's best friend whose parents are not in the military. And if you can picture that kid, talk to that kid when you're writing things on your resume. There's three simple uh, questions to ask on what I call the smart fifth grader test. Question one is, are you using simple language? Language so clear an 11 year old would get it. And the simple answer to that today is many times, no. Even if you get rid of all the acronyms and the jargon that's clear to you, that means it's jargon, there may still be words left over that mean one thing to you and a different thing to us. 
So for instance, if you say deployed and you mean got sent somewhere, I think you mean how parachutes work. Ideally, they deploy. <laughs> if you say joint and you mean interagency, I mean arthritis or marijuana. So you can't take anything for granted, even just sailor, right? You call everyone around you sailors. I don't call anybody that unless they're in the Navy or on a boat somewhere. So the more you say sailor or soldier or Marines, the more you sound a little bit distant from the civilian. And the more they go, ah, is he gonna be successful here? Because we don't work like that. Well, at a high level, sailors are people, personnel, team members, employees, just like I have. Sure, the culture is different, the jobs are different, but it's still leading people and working alongside people. So just remove the word sailor, say people or team, you're probably good. That's the first question. And the good news is if you simplify the language so much an 11 year old would get it, a retired Navy captain will get it too. She'll just have more context and go, oh, does that mean you were the NCOIC? Oh yeah, does that mean you were a command master chief? Great. You can talk about that all you want when you do meet another sailor, but default to the lowest level of understanding, which is probably that 11 year old level. The second question for the smart fifth grader is, are you focused on good news only? I recognize the business of fighting war is not always good news, I get it. But I don't need to hear about knocking down doors and finding bad guys or anything like it. What I wanna know is how did you make the world a better place? What did you do to help people or a process to improve, to get better, to make a real difference? And how do you describe good news? You do that using the signs of a great interview and the signs of a great resume. Those same symbols help you articulate the particular good news that means you did something well. For every bullet on your resume, don't just say I did a thing. You have to say I did it well and here's why it matters to you. The signs of a great resume are the good news that answer what can you do for me? And the third and final question for our smart fifth grader is are you getting to the point quickly? Because both an 11 year old and a recruiter have got a super short attention span when it comes to hearing about your old job. So. There's a military term I'm told that works nicely here. Bluff, bottom line up front, right? Just do that. <laughs> the way I think about bluff on a resume is for every bullet or in an interview, every answer, tell me a fairy tale backwards. They all lived happily ever after. Good news, because once upon a time, eh, here's some details if you need it. And that's like the that. smart creator test. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's funny though, because like really, you know, especially for senior enlisted people, like we spend a lot of time writing evals and, and teaching people. And it's, you know, I always make all my young uh, personnel uh, write their own performance reviews. Right. And then I would look at it and go back and go through it with them again and say, Hey, here's why. And so like a lot of stuff that you're saying, I think a lot of us already knew it's just, we don't understand that it's like, Hey dude, it's the same rules that apply to this you've done this before. You just don't realize it. Right. Um, you're, you're changing the words, but the same thing, you're making impact statements that demonstrate your value to the organization. Oh, I see a lot of similarities. I'm sorry. I, I see a lot of similarities in the way you say to frame the resume and the way we write evaluation statements and, and, and you answer the, so what, and, and the numbers and the impact and all that. Yeah, I see it all through the evaluations that I have in my binders. 
It's just the context in which you write it and how you translate that experience and to get it into the smart 11th, you know, to the smart fifth grader. Right. I hear, I've heard from many senior NCOs. Why don't you write the signs of a great eval report? Cause I could use this tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not an authority on evals or pick reps, so I won't, but you could definitely use this if you're still in to inform the way you help others learn about writing evals, because then you're teaching a skill that will help them in transition. So if you are a senior NCO and you're listening to this, take a, a thought to go, Hey, how can I teach my junior enlisted this skill now and be overt about the fact that this is a skill they will use not just for promotion boards or other things in, in the military, but also as they transition out to write their resume? Because I really think the best time to write a resume is before you need a resume. So start right now. You might not be planning to get out of the military for another 10 years. Fine. Start writing your resume. The beauty is that writing your evals and fit reps is essentially writing data for your resume. We may have you phrase it differently on a resume and maybe not all of it is going to be applicable, but it's a rich data source. Absolutely. And I can't tell you going through, going through commit and talking with Sandy, my coach, I would, I was constantly, Hey, when, 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 when can I schedule my time with Scott and it's, Oh, well, we have to wait till the fourth or the fifth or, you know, Megan, Megan would say, well, you need to finish. You need to make sure you finish your coaching sessions before you talk with Scott. And it was, and it, and, and I always felt like, I felt like the stormtrooper with my helmet on backwards sometimes with my resume, just waiting to go see Yoda. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> and then, and then we, I will as good feedback. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yes. Yes. So when we finally did get to get to uh, discuss my resume, I mean, it was truly enlightening to, to get to pick it apart and uh, and get it moving down the down the road in the right direction. Well, thanks, Mike. And, and I think the advice that you're hearing from Sandy, Sandy Travis is a great coach. I, I definitely hear tons of positive feedback about her and I, I've come to know her pretty well myself and, and the rest of the team that commit is to really think about taking little bites out of the transition all at once. And I think it's really uh, a purposeful way to go about it because there's a thousand things you can think of to try and do in transition. But like Trevor said about you know entrepreneurship, step zero to one is hard, but then do step two and three and four. Don't try to do steps zero to a thousand in a single swoop. And part of the reason why uh, with commit in particular that we hold off on writing the resume and, and really focusing on how to tell the story is we want to make sure you have a clear picture of the why. Why you do what you do and why you're going to pursue what you're going to pursue next. And a lot of people come to me early in their transition and they have something they tell me, oh, here's where I think I'm going to head. And very commonly, it sounds something like this. Program management with Lockheed Martin, Northrop, Palantir, something like that, right? Because that's a clear path where those companies value military veteran experience because you work for their favorite customer, the United States Department of Defense. So of course, they clearly understand what you do, at least more than most civilians, and they need some of the skills you bring, including things like clearances. But when I talk to people later in transition, like after they've been through some discovery about what's next for them and why they wanna do what they wanna do in the next chapter of their career, we can write a more compelling story because it's now clearer, oh, we don't need to focus so much on programs and the technical aspects of what you did in the military. 
we need to focus on how you led and influenced. And you know, talk about you know, Micah on Capitol Hill. Sure, there's a lot of technical stuff you know about the Navy, but you now know a lot about presenting to executives, about how to communicate succinctly, how to get buy-in from a very contested body of <laughs> people in the Congress, right? You know, they're not an easy group to please one way or another. And so you've navigated all that. We would definitely focus more on that if the next chapter calls on those skills more so than it does your technical skills. And I think, you know, as, as you were talking, I think a lot of people, especially folks like me, need to understand too, this transition for me is likely not going to be my last one either. There's probably going to be two, three, four, you know, until I finally retire, forever retire. So uh, understand that you have to see this, this process and also posture yourself for the, for the potential next transition and the next transition. So, yeah, you know, don't not getting, you know, the stovepipe into only working in the defense industry, because I, I thought about that as well. You know, I, like I think I talked about earlier, but thinking that I could only exist in the realm of government service or the defense sector because I was completely intimidated by everything else. I think a lot of veterans migrate that way because of that, because they think that's the only place they're, they are of value. But I think we are valued a lot of other places as well. And I think, you know, going through places like commit and the Art foundation really exposes us to understanding our value elsewhere. And I've said this before on other podcasts, I am very ignorant to industry and other organizations, companies, corporations that are not on the fortune 500 because I just don't know they're out there. And I, I got introduced to it quite a bit. Thankfully working up on Capitol Hill, I would meet with constituents from these companies and I would see them on the schedule. And I'm like, I, I don't know who, who is this company? And I would do my Intel, get on LinkedIn or, you know, Google and that company and, Oh, wow. You make rocket engines. Wow. You make satellites. Oh, wow. You make this, or you make that part for the F 35, you know, and I've never even heard of them. And there's a couple thousand people that work for them in Florida. I mean, it was amazing, you know, but you, you just don't know those, those niche organizations are out there and they're, they're doing awesome. They're really doing phenomenal things and you never knew they were there. Yeah. And, and they and need people. They absolutely need people and, and talented people who know things that their team that exists does not know. Uh, you know, most organizations are not big companies. The Fortune 500 is literally 500 companies. It's not more, but there are way more organizations than that to work for. And I believe the statistic is still true. It was some time ago. Most Americans work for a small business or a smaller business than the Fortune 500. So when people come to me and, and transition from the military, and I, I always ask, you know, what, where do you think about working? Where could you picture yourself working? It's usually big company names that I hear. And, you know, sometimes it's defense and that's fine. It's great. We need people to pursue the world of defense as civilians. So do that, please, if you're passionate, but don't feel you must. And then sometimes it's big civilian companies. I hear Facebook, Google, Amazon a lot because they're hiring a lot of people. It's technical skills that are in high demand there. They do partner and work with the governments in some ways, you know, and there's crossover AWS that, you know, for instance. So it makes sense in a lot of ways 
But don't forget that small organization of 50 people who's really making a difference in a field. You'll never meet them unless you start to expand that networking circle and you really start to see who can I meet that has common interests and might be able to use the skills that I bring because in a smaller company, um, you may be the only person with your background and the only person who brings some of not just the technical skills, but also the values that come from service in the military. I think, you know, something else too, I, I was just thinking about this, um, you know, from my own situation, it's in, on top of writing a good resume, you have to maintain that as well. And I think one thing that's really important, and maybe you can chime in on this because, you know, I saw a statistic somewhere that said like the average uh, veteran works at the first company that they work with when they get out for a, somewhere between two to three years before they go look for someone, someone else. And, you know, me personally, I, I kind of related to that because I looked at, you know, the resume I wrote for the MBA program I applied to. And then, you know, a couple months ago, I had a guy reach out to me and said, Hey, I think, you know, you could help me with this problem. He's like, do you have a resume? I was like, I don't do resumes anymore. I'll give you a professional summary of, of who I am and what I do. And that'll have to suffice. And he's like, okay, so it was kind of like a resume, but I looked at the difference in the actual resume that I had written for the MBA program. And this thing that I had written afterwards completely looks completely different, you know, cause now I have a, a whole new set of experiences and the way I think about, you know, what I, what I deem to be valuable when I'm trying to communicate my value to somebody else has changed significantly, even over, you know, three years. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of great research out there about veterans and both uh, how long they'll stay at a job, how fulfilled they'll feel at a job. And I think a lot of this comes from, at least if there's a change within that first two to three years, it's not because veterans are flighty, right? You know, most most veterans stay quite a time in the military, uh, especially once you're retiring. I mean, 20 years is quite a commitment uh, to have made to one employer. But uh, a lot of the time, I would posit, if veterans are leaving a job that's their first job early, it's because they didn't fully understand the value they brought and could not yet explain the way you now can what you bring to a new opportunity. So sometimes that's veterans who take a path that seems clearer, like into defense or like in their specialty. So I worked with a JAG officer the other day. And so sure, she can go be a lawyer. She's admitted to the bar in a couple of states. She really doesn't wanna do that. She wants to use the skills she's been honing lawyering to do something else. And there's also a reality that she's gotta keep putting food on the table, paying the mortgage and, and all those things. So a path might be she goes and, and gets a job as an attorney because she can do that and it's a clear path. And then as she practices some, she's going to explore, you know, you know what, here's where I'm seeing additional value that I bring. Here's what I most like about the work in the civilian world. And here's where I want to chase next. If you take time to do more of that expl exploration before you leave the military, I think you'll land a better chance of getting into a job or a career field, at least, that feels fulfilling and is the right place from the start. So that's why uh, programs like Commit, that I don't speak on behalf of Commit, but the people that I have worked with through them speak very highly of uh, Pursue Your Purpose, which is a program that helps get you to uh, what the Honor Foundation also talks about, which is your why. I don't work with Honor Foundation, but a lot of vets tell me that finding their why was important. 
And the way I articulate why is kind of as the purpose of my career. And it's taken me many years to be able to say it this succinctly, but the purpose of my career is that I help people, especially veterans, find success in their careers. If I'm doing that, it does not matter what occupation I have, who I'm working for, or on what basis I'm working, as an employee, as a contractor, as an independent consultant, doesn't matter. If I'm living that purpose, I feel fulfilled. I'm doing things for which there is a demand. I'm doing things that will uh, offer both benefits to who I'm serving and to me. And so it's kind of like a, a win-win for everybody, but you have to take time to explore that. Veterans have a strong sense of purpose during service, and it's very clear why you do what you do in the military. It's part of you know, that selfless service that maybe called you to service in the first place. Afterwards, it doesn't always seem as clear, but some exploration around it can get you there, and that time will be well spent for you to figure out whatever you want to call it, your why, your purpose, or uh, the reason for the next chapter. Yeah, I think that's one of the most eye-opening parts of this transition for me has been the pursue your purpose or discovering my why. And I've watched some of my fellow uh, classmates or fellow fellows uh, discover theirs as well. And, and we interviewed uh, a retired SEAL commander, John McCaskill, and his why changed completely from where he thought at initially going into it to where he ended up. And it was all because of the process. You know, we talked about earlier, you know, me wanting to go, you know, as soon as I started the game to want to talk with you to do my resume, where you just have to trust the process. And we hear that through the Honor Foundation, trust the process, because it is a process. You need to do all the steps involved to really wrap your head around what you're doing and and, and, and just trust it, trust the process, you know, but discovering your why and, you know, really for me, you know, me not wanting to have to set an alarm clock to wake me up because I just don't want to get up to go do what I have to go do because I had a, I, my, my father worked for a, a fortune 500 company uh, in, in West Virginia and he was not fulfilled at all for 35 years. And he, he was just, he, he, he was, uh, he grind, he was grinding it out until he retired. And as soon as they offered him an early out to retire, he jumped on it. I mean, he retired at the age of like 55, 56, I think. And, and he was smart and postured his finances and everything. So he could do that. And I think it had a lot to do with the grinding of that career that he chose to support the family and, and to provide food and, you know, and everything, which he was great at, but yeah. I have used that absolutely as a litmus test for me to go. I, I never want, I never want to do that. I never want to ever feel like that. And I think fortunately for me and Trevor, I think is in the same boat that allows him a little bit of entrepreneurial risk, but, Fortunately for me, with the military pension and the VA uh, disability compensation and things like that, that I will likely be afforded, I, I'm afforded the risk to pursue my why, pursue my purpose, and and to find the thing that I wake up every Monday morning throughout the week, and then on Friday, 
I go, man, I, I really don't want to go home, you know, or I really, I'm really excited, but I just, I need to take, take a break. Just shut your mind off. It'll be there again on Monday. I really want to get after it though. I want that, you know, and I think everybody wants that. And I think it's out there, but you just have to go through the process and trust it and then do the networking and do the resume and do the interview and, and get there. Yeah. And uh, I love what you say about, first of all, trust the process. And secondly, um, the, I also want to be clear. I'm not naive to the fact that some people can't take that time, don't have the means to start a business and keep food on the table, must take a job immediately after transition. You know, it's not the E9s and O5s I'm worried about in terms of finding the next job that will pay the bills, especially at a time of retirement, right? You've got sort of a, a, a base that you can rely back on in the form of a pension and um, that's not where the, the real difficulty is. The difficulty lies in you know, the deeper enlisted ranks um, where you know, the, the 88 Mike truck driver who's done his three-year commitment, now he's getting out. And now what is he going to do? So we can sit here until we're blue in the face, say, pursue your you know, passions and all that. And he's got to pay the bills. So over the years, I've come to articulate it as, I think you should use your skills to pay the bills and use your passion to feel fulfilled. If there's a moment where you can bring those together in a job, great, you've won the lottery. If there isn't, then start by doing what you need to do. Maybe you go drive a truck again because you're a truck driver. Great, start there and get food on the table and get the next chapter of your career started. Still pursue, what is it that I need to learn about what I'm passionate about? still network and talk to people about what someday might look like and still fall back to you bring those values and that leadership. And I believe there's leadership at every level of the military from the moment you raise your hand to serve your country, you're demonstrating personal leadership, even when you're managing nobody but yourself. All of those things you bring to any civilian job, driving trucks or running a podcast and being an entrepreneur. But you have to realize where people are in their journey is different. And all of the things we're talking about today can help people at any stage of their journey. Some just have more leeway and um, the benefit of being able to pursue both passion and skills in the next opportunity together. What I often tell um, recruiters to think of, I'm sorry, what I tell veterans to think about telling recruiters is to express I'm a patriot. And it's an acronym I came up with and we'll, we'll throw a... Uh, um, screenshot up of the uh, graphic that goes with this to make it easy. But PATRIOT is an acronym for I possess values. I'm accountable, trainable, respectful. I take initiative. I'm on time. I'm a team player. Every civilian employer in every single field wants every single employee to possess those qualities. And I think they just kind of come with the veteran package by default, with rare exception. That's the qualities I've found in veterans that I appreciate, whether they're an E3 or a two-star. Like all people coming out of the services come with this strong moral compass, with this kind of sense of serving something greater than themselves that can serve you well in a Fortune 500 C-suite and driving a truck. That's, uh, I like that. That uh, I want to have to get that from you. I'll, I'll make a little something and put it on the, the uh, LinkedIn page with that. I think, you know, and I feel like we're probably going to end up having a, to get you on here for another interview to talk about the interview process after the resume. 
But could you maybe dive a little bit into the other piece of that? Your kind of what I like to call your online resume, because um, that's I know that's a huge one for me is doing what I do for a living. My LinkedIn profile is huge. Um, and I think for somebody who's going out there and looking for a job, your online presence is is now it's a part of, of the process. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's smart to get to building a LinkedIn profile as soon as you can. Now, I work with a lot of special operators. I get it. Your social media presence is probably nothing right now. And that's OK. In fact, especially if you want to go to something relating to defense, those folks will appreciate the fact that you're not blurting everything that comes to your mind out online, right? Um, so I respect and appreciate not everyone can build a LinkedIn profile right away. But guess what the signs of a great LinkedIn profile are? The same signs. It's still the same stuff. In fact, my opinion is you should just take your resume and copy and paste it onto LinkedIn as the starting place. Now, you got to use their layout and whatever. So you know, nobody on LinkedIn has Scott's opinion on how they should set it up. But you can still bucket skills together like you might do if you're using a functional or blended functional resume. You can still um, highlight your summary of qualifications. Your kind of about section at the top can be the same on both your resume and on your LinkedIn. And it's really the way you use LinkedIn that is different than your resume. Your LinkedIn is a way for you to engage with your community and to learn from others and add to the conversation. I just had a robust conversation on LinkedIn this morning uh, with a retiring Navy captain and I was chiming in on his comments and he asked the question and the simple question was, have you heard of the STAR method for interviews and kind of what's your perspective? I said, yes, I've heard of it and I don't believe in it because the STAR method is an acronym for situation, task, action, and result being the way you frame up a story for an interview or frankly, for bullets on a resume. <clears throat> the difficulty is the situation and task you're in in the Navy is not what the situation and task is at McKinsey or Amazon or Facebook. It's different. We're fresh out of Arleigh Burke destroyers, you know, or cruise, whatever, like, you know, like we don't have that. So you don't need to spend a lot of time on situation and task. I prefer rats, which is start with results and then talk about the actions you took to get those, which are probably the things that you'll port over to the new job, right? You can take similar actions. Then if there's time, talk about task and situation. So why am I saying this in response to your LinkedIn conversation or a question? It's because the conversation's happening right now on LinkedIn. If you go to my LinkedIn profile and I, I have an open network policy, I, I will connect with you if you ask me to connect. Um, and you can see the recent activity and what I'm chiming in on. And I want you to add to the conversation because your perspective matters and someone can learn from what you have learned. If you had an aha during this podcast or this video, if you're watching, chime in on LinkedIn and say, I learned this today because someone in your network might need to hear it. And that is super important. Part of your job in transitioning is to set yourself up for success to help others transition someday. Not immediately. I don't expect you to be an expert. Take time to focus on you and get yourself set. But when you're in that next job, three years from now, a year, whatever timeline it takes you, be an advocate for those in transition. Add back to that conversation on LinkedIn because you never know who's going to need that help. I talked to a, an FBI supervising agent who was a vet 
And he came up to me after one of my presentations. He said, Scott, when you help people and especially veterans find a job, you're not just helping them get employed. You might be saving their life. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because I never thought of it that way. Because work is so much a part of what we do. It's a huge part of your identity when you're in the military. And I get it that there then is just this big stopping point and you're no longer in. And what's next is scary. And it brings anxiety. Like Mike first said when he, when he came on, well, that's not going to feel good for anybody. And if we know that and we acknowledge that some people will really struggle with that, it's important to show your own vulnerability, to say, I stopped and I asked for help. I went to the Commit Foundation or the Honor Foundation, or I just asked my friends what they had done before, because it is okay to ask for help. And there are a lot of us out there who want to help. We want to see you thrive and you're not alone. And you better help others once you land as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't, go ahead, Trevor. Oh, no, I, was gonna say, I don't think that's, I, from what I've seen since I've been out, I don't think that's been an issue because one thing that I've seen is, is vets love helping other vets. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I always tell people, you know, when you reach out to another vet, it's very unlikely they're going to say, no, nah, I'm not helping any other sailor learn what the civilian world's like. Can you imagine somebody saying that? No. What I'm saying is also, in addition to saying yes when asked, offer before it's asked. Because that's the, the real gap, is that people don't want to ask for help, especially super confident and competent D9s and Navy SEAL commanders, perhaps, right? Like you're used to being an expert at what you're good at and a lot of other stuff and people asking you for help. So when a retired two-star comes to me and asks for help, my words back to him is tell others that you asked for help because they need to know it's okay. Oh, it definitely takes a lot of humility and courage to admit you, uh, you're ignorant on the process. And I've, I've swallowed a lot of that <laughs> on my way, on my journey. That's for sure. And I've reached out to a lot of people. I mean, it, it, here's, this is, everybody finds this funny, especially our, our, our close friends. So I was Trevor's first platoon chief when he came into explosive ordnance disposal and Trevor retired almost three years ago. And it's the roles have been reversed. So Trevor has mentored me repeatedly on my journey on the way out of the military service. So, you know, it's been an interesting path having now the, the roles reversed as I'm exiting the service. So I think it's kind of unfair too, because Mike's been a, a lot better, you know, new civilian than I was a new EOD <laughs> tech. So. <laughs> Well, I, I'm confident that uh, you are both going to do well in, in that next chapter. And part of it is because you're learning and continuing to learn from each other. I think intellectual curiosity goes a long way. Um, and I'll bet you didn't know anything about EOD when you entered the Navy, but learned all of that. And so you can learn this too. Yeah, and, we're, and, and getting this information out through the podcast medium is, is such a great way to get it out to folks. And, you know, I, when I go on Little Creek now, I think every time I'm on Little Creek, which isn't often because I'm on leave quite a bit right now before I start my skill bridge, but every time I see somebody they're they're pulling me aside saying, Hey, yeah, listen to that podcast. That episode was great. And it's, and then we'll have folks reach out to us on LinkedIn saying, you know, I, I really enjoyed that, that part of the podcast, that episode. So it, it's just, you hear it all the time, I'm sure, because you're really tied into the veteran community, but we're, we're baby steps with this. And just to hear folks, on occasion 
say they listened and and they took something from it it's just phenomenal it really lights the fire i mean it really makes you want to get up in the morning it really makes you want to record these podcasts because it's just it's just great great feedback it's, it's a great service you're doing and if you've helped one vet along the way i think it was probably worth it would you agree absolutely yeah i you know for me like i talk about that a lot like i've I put a lot more effort into chasing fulfillment than money. And, you know, it's one of those things where I, since we started doing this, cause Mike and I, I mean, we were both really nervous about starting this. We're like, I have no, it's, you know, kind of going back to that free fall thing. <laughs> we're like, I don't know what I'm doing. We, we talk about how we both hate the sound of our voice. And, you know, so we were just like, screw it, man. Let's just overcome. And, and uh, it's great. Like people have been reaching out and been like, yeah, that was awesome. I, I really like that. I found this useful. And I guess, you know, the other big thing now is we're trying to, uh, you know, work on putting more content out there, other stuff and, and access to resources and, um, you know, just sharing information like having you on here and, and talking has been great because I still I'm still learning um, some of the you know things that you I took some notes here. And I'm probably going to hit you up after this and ask you for some feedback on some things, but definitely appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Any, uh, so any, as far as, cause I know we're kind of getting close to the time limit here, but any parting wisdom that you would have for anybody working on their resume? Yeah, you know, I, I've got a lot of great tips on my website, so I'm sure you'll post a link to scottvetter.com. Uh, and, you know, just take the time to recognize that it's going to be a process, like Mike said, and trust the process in terms of writing it. Uh, here's the other nugget that I'll give you. You can ask 100 recruiters our opinions about resumes. You will get 150 opinions about resumes or more. Everyone's got an opinion and they think theirs is genius. What you will never hear a recruiter say is, ugh, the candidate made it too easy to see why he's a great fit for this job, you know? So if that's the worst thing you do and they don't like what font you chose or how many pages or any of the nonsense you can read online about layouts and whatever, I really don't care what their opinion is. What I care is that they want to talk to you and uh, offer you an opportunity that calls on the best of your skills. I think when you use the signs of a great resume and signs of a great interview uh, to talk about your story, your, your story will speak for itself. Well, Scott, I tell you, it's been great having you on. I, I, you're, you're such a subject matter expert on both the, the resume and the interview. I know it's, it's, yeah, you're such a valuable, uh, you're such a valuable resource. Your, your passion for this stuff. I mean, it's, it's in your books. It's, you know, it's in your talks. Uh, you know, when you, I see you online all the time, I watch your, you know, the, the interactions you have with other folks. I mean, I think you're, you're truly a, a patriot that, that doesn't wear the uniform every day. And I, and I really thank you for, for what you do for the veteran community. I love that, Mike. It, it really is the, the greatest privilege of my career to do this work. And um, I wouldn't have it any other way. So, uh, it's a weird topic I got to be an expert on resumes. Like this was not my life plan either. <laughs> and it's kind of a dreadful topic. I, I admit that. So I try to make it as fun as possible, but that's a low bar on the spectrum of resume fun. Uh, but it really is so much um, a reward and so worth the, the work and effort to, to help vets on this journey. And, and thank you both, Mike and Trevor, for having me on today. Uh, it, it means a lot. Definitely. We'll have to have you back for another episode talking about interviews. Cause we didn't even get to that. Um, Sign me up, but that's all right. Sounds good. <laughs> Done. 
Hey, Scott Vetter, uh, author of the books, Signs of a Great Resume and Signs of a Great Interview. Uh, stay tuned. We'll, we'll eventually have a part two of this uh, where we actually talk about the interview. So, Scott, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks, Jets. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net. And let us help you get to vet.